Hey guys, welcome back to Tell Me About It. So I'm doing this intro right now live from my office. I'm babysitting my sister's dog who is climbing all over my desk because he wouldn't let me get this intro recorded without crying. Okay, he's going to step on the button. Okay, okay. Just don't stop recording, okay? He's going to step all over my keyboard. And then there's, of course, King Taco who is by my feet and is feeling very jealous. As I said, we're babysitting my sister's dog for a few days and God. And he's like a Morky. So like balancing the two of them has been intense because they have very different needs and it's a full-time job over here. Anyway, I also just wanted to (laughs) tell you guys because you guys are my friends and I need to feel proud of myself. I started working out, which is a big It was a big feat for me. First of all, I'm just going to beat you to the punch. I know that you're already rolling your eyes at me. I was forced. I became so depressed that I had to start working out. And if I get a good body out of it, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, I started working out because I was just feeling like shit every day. And I was like, why am I feeling like shit? You know, and I would go to sleep every night with so much pent up energy. And for the first time in my life, I'm really working out like for my mental health. Like I have become so miserable that that I like it's a necessity. I need to work out now. But I'm still waiting for that period where people start saying like, you just feel so much better and you have so much more energy. And right now I'm like fucking exhausted after every single time. Like I am wrecked. So I'm waiting for those endorphins or whatever the hell. Right now I just, it has a calming effect because I literally can't fucking move after I'm done. But anyway, you know what? We're we're just doing our best out here. We're just improving ourselves, just you know, just trying to get our shit together because you know, it's overwhelming right now. Our our social calendars are filling up again and nuts. But speaking of social calendars, I don't know why. Speaking of social calendars, it's not at all. But did you guys see Taylor Swift's speech at NYU? She gave the commencement speech at NYU, and you know, I am a Swifty. It's I have a hard time saying that. It's just it's similar to me having a hard time saying that I'm like a Bravo person. But you know what? We're gonna live out loud, and we're gonna just not be ashamed of our loves. So anyway, she gave this speech, and I know I speak to a lot of my fellow people who were saved by her music, but her music just defined like my entire adolescence to like young adulthood and adulthood, quite frankly, like I'm still bopping along to that music. But anyway, she said in her speech that we need to learn to live a side cringe. And that really stuck out to me because I felt like she was really speaking to those of us who chronically humiliate themselves. I'm just one of those people. I just have done cringy things my whole life. I like cringy things. I say cringy things. It's just part of my brand. So when she said to live alongside cringe, I think a lot of us who feel that way, who feel like we're just, we humiliate ourselves all the time, felt like, damn, okay, we can live alongside cringe. And it's true. Cringe is a part of life. If you're not cringing, you're not trying. That's the goddamn truth. What is that quote? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. The other day I was like, okay, I haven't posted on Instagram in a while. And like, honestly, do people still post on Instagram? Like what's going on? I really am confused. So I was like, I just, I'm going to post something and just like pretend like 
I don't care, you know, when I really do. And I posted it. And okay, at first, of course, two minutes later, I saw that it was getting like two likes and I archived it immediately. Meanwhile, the shower is running. Like I had a really genius idea that I was going to post it and then get in the shower so I couldn't watch the likes come in. Anyway, I'm standing there ass naked and I post this picture, archive it, sit in shame for like four minutes. So I'm sitting there going through like the seven stages of grief. Are there seven stages of grief? I don't even know. Like bargaining. I'm going through all the emotions. And then I posted it again and hopped in the shower. Honestly, I posted it again, got a comment within the first like two minutes. And I was like, okay, we're safe. Like the algorithm is going to, you know, reward me for this. And lo and behold, it got like no likes. Like it got no love. I, you know, of course I blamed it on the time of day I posted it and whatever. And I'm just watching as these no likes come in and feeling like, oh my God, what am I doing to deserve being on this planet? Like I am the scum of the earth, you know, just the classic joys of Instagram. And when I got out of the shower, I looked at my phone And I saw that while I had no likes, no comments on the picture, notice I'm laughing to prevent me from crying, but instead there were 25 shares within like the first two hours of me posting it. Why are people sharing my picture? You know, like I was very confused and I was talking to my friend on the phone and she was like, oh my God, you got 25 shares. And I was like, yeah. So, you know, I was kind of just like, didn't think anything of it. And then this satanic friend was like, Don't you feel like when people share your picture, they're just talking shit about you? I mean, that had never occurred to me. Really, that had never occurred to me. I thought like they were just sharing it being like, look how gorgeous and stunning she is. Look how great her outfit is. I want to be just like her. You know, like that's what I think people are saying when they're sharing my picture. But damn, in those two seconds when she shared that dark thought, I mean, my opinion completely changed. And all of a sudden I'm thinking everyone's talking shit about me. And then I just want to leave the country altogether and delete Instagram. And then I get another like and I'm like, oh, okay, I could stay for a while. It's just sick, you know? But that's like the least of my cringiness, like truly. I'll do an episode, honestly, where I just share all of my humiliating moments because I don't just like, oh my God, I tripped. I'm like really bad social humiliation. Just where I completely do or say something or I'm haunted by something I did or said when I was 25. I just have like a whole album of greatest hits of humiliation that I'm happy to share with you whenever you humiliate yourself because Jesus, I mean, I'm due. I'm due for a next humiliation. But it got me thinking about these cool girls, okay? And Casey and I talked about this today. Our guest is Casey Wilson, who I love and adore I'll tell you about her in a second, but she and I were talking about cool girls because I've been thinking a lot about cool girls and especially when I posted that Instagram picture the other day and I was like, damn, some people just like, I tried to tell myself the whole time. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care because you know what the truth is? Everything is cringy. So nothing is cringy. That's really the God's honest truth. Everything is fucking cringy. So therefore, nothing is cringy. And I kept repeating that to myself. And I kept saying, like, this is just a game. This is just like a slot machine where you just, you know, and we'll get it next time. We'll get them with a great picture next time. I just kept trying to, like, tell myself that I was okay. But anyway, it got me thinking about these cool girls who I imagine, like, don't care at all about the likes that they get on their picture or like don't humiliate themselves ever because they always know the cooler option. And so I was thinking about them and I was like, how fucking exhausting must it be to be a cool girl? 
Not only the fact that there's a rule book where it says you have to text in only lowercase letters. Like, I don't know who the fuck invented that, but God, the list gets longer and longer and longer to try to be a cool girl. And it's fucking exhausting. You know, the cool girls, like the ones that don't follow you back on Instagram and the ones that don't feel the need to like make you feel comfortable when you're around them. Like if you say something, they don't feel the need to answer you or they like smirk and they're like, you know, it's it must be amazing. I'm saying this out of pure jealousy, but Casey and I really got into the life of the cool girl and the mystique of that kind of individual. So if you're feeling really lame this week, come sit by us. We talked about, we like really bonded over all of our insecurities in this episode. And there are a lot of really fun moments. And we talked about housewives and cool girls and literally celiac disease. Like we talked about so many different things. But why I really love this episode is because Casey and I met each other on a level where We shared a lot of our childhood traumas and insecurities, and there's a lot of overlap in our stories. So I really appreciated this little heart-to-heart in this venting session where I felt, quite frankly, way less alone. And I think she did too, and I think you will too after listening. So I'm really excited for you to hear this. We talked about Casey's book, which is called The Wreckage of My Presence. I literally devoured it in 24 hours. I need to just tell you sincerely, this book is phenomenal. There's nothing better than someone making you feel less alone in the human experience. She really lays it all out and she so brilliantly expresses what it feels like to be a woman, to go through certain things. It's just such a gift and it's so honest and it's so It's just a perfect read. Like, you just feel like you're hanging with a friend the whole time and, like, you don't want it to end. It's so, so good. So I highly recommend reading that. But let me tell you a little bit about Casey. Casey Wilson is an actress, writer, director, and podcaster. Her TV acting credits include Happy Endings, Saturday Night Live, The Shrink Next Door, Marry Me, Black Monday, Mrs. Fletcher, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Her film credits include Gone Girl, my favorite movie ever, Julie and Julia, oh my God, my oh, another huge favorite of mine, and Always Be My Maybe. Casey co-wrote and co-starred in the movie Bride Wars and Ass Backwards with her longtime collaborator June Diane Raphael. Alongside Danielle Schneider, the co-host of hit podcast Bitch Sesh, which is all about Bravo and Housewives, her directorial debut, Daddy-O, premiered at South by Southwest, and Casey Zoomed with me from L.A., where she currently lives with her husband and two young sons. I promise you, you will love this episode. I'm so excited for you to hang out with Casey and me. It's a good time. So buckle up. Here is Casey Wilson. Casey Wilson, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I feel like, honest to God, I feel like I know you because I just devoured your book in 24 hours. God bless you. I appreciate you you reading it. That's so sweet. Thank I you. I mean, it's... It is gold. It's so perfect. It's so good. I mean, honestly, like by the end, when I finished it, I was like, fuck, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Like, how are we going to fit this into an hour? I (laughs) do not know. How are we going to get it in? Look, you're the host. That's on you. you I know. know? Exactly. Right? It's not my problem. Exactly. So first of all, the first thing I want to open with is I didn't realize your son has celiac disease. Yes. So my fiance has celiac disease. 
diagnosis, scariness, and all of that was the same. He was really? um, diagnosed when he was 18 months. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 18 months. Yes. So he's lived with it his whole life. It's a wild journey. And it was very different like 30 years ago. I feel like now – well, now is a whole different thing because now people just don't believe that it's a serious allergy. People are like, oh, yeah, you're gluten-free. Like, so is everyone yeah. in L.A., you know? Yeah. No, I have to like really get specific with waiters. I'm like, it's an autoimmune disease, I promise. Right. And I'm like, oh no, you don't even want to know what it looks like if there's, you know, any contamination. Like it is, it is so far from a normal allergy. It's not yes. an allergy. It shouldn't be called an allergy. It's yeah. a disease. Yes, it is. Totally. And I, I can't imagine having it way back in the day where I've heard from friends of just like barely, br- you know, there's just nothing on the shelves. Now, at least you can literally right. get like a gluten-free Slurpee or anything you want. Totally. No, like everything is gluten-free. Yeah. Like before my fiance's mom would have to drive over because every party was a pizza party or at McDonald's yes. or something. And she would have to drive like a protein style in and out burger or whatever over. I was like, she, like she had to work overtime. I mean, I'm still in that place where wherever we go to dinner, I'm like, here's my little lunch box for my yeah. son. And like, Sweet. I'm just like cooking pasta in the corner of someone's house I've never met at a play date. Right. Exactly. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Like right now we're planning our wedding and we're like, okay, do we yeah. do the whole wedding gluten-free? And I'm like, I think we just, it's his day. And I feel like it's the one day where like, I'd rather he not worry about any food yes. being off limits. I love that. I, I just had my son's birthday party and same thing. There was like, a, we did like a Sunday bar and I, I'm such a people pleaser. I'm like, I'm going to get all the kids, all the things well, they hello. want. And then I was like, wait a minute, let me just <laughs> get the things my son can have and get my head on straight. I'm having the same issue. But you know what? There's great, there are great gluten-free things. So I'm a gluten-free proponent. Yes. Even though I order takeout more than I should. Oh, hello. It's not gluten-free. Yes, exactly. But also, while we are both fluent in gluten-free meals, we're yes. fluent in housewives and Kardashians. Yes. yes. And like, it's a different thing to be like, to love it. Like, oh my God, I love housewives. And then to be fluent in it. Or to live it. Yeah. yeah. Right. I watch it day to night, 24-7. Yep. yep. Yes. But I have to say something about you that I really admire. <laughs> you repped it before it was cool. Like now that like Rihanna is like following is it all cool of them. Now? Yeah, I guess you're right. Rihanna really took us to a new place. Yeah. But I was and then like Hailey Bieber did the like the Pignoli cookies bit on TikTok. And I was like, fuck, if I knew people knew what that was, you know, like here yeah. I am living thinking that this is my little secret and no one knows what that is. You know what, Jade? We don't need to live in the shadows anymore. And I think we need you to know? come out of the closet and we need to stand strong. And I will no longer be a housewives apologist. Me neither. You know, Kardashians, once Kim did that monologue on SNL, I feel like I have my girlfriend who's like an MBA in finance was like, you know what? I actually think I really like Kim. And I'm like, you know what? Stop. I said, just stop. I don't want to hear it. Okay. She's always been smart. She's always been sweet. Just stop. Chris has always been a businesswoman. And she was like, you don't have to get mad. <laughs> no, I have repped her so hard. Yep. I once got into a really bad argument with my brother on Christmas Eve. Because I was defending the Kardashians so hard. And that's what happens with family. And you had to set them straight. <laughs> you know? I don't I was, care that it's the Lord's day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, come what about on. Our, our Savior, Lord I've and Savior? I've gone to bat. I've gone yeah. to bat for them. You know, I met a new mom friend, gorgeous, gorgeous mom friend at my son's school. And I always really liked this woman. I'm like, she's got a light around her. She's just cool. And then I came to find out. This is after the fact, okay? I didn't chase okay. her for this fact. You will understand this. Her mom has been a fringe character in our world of the Kardashians, and her mom is Sheila Colker, Auntie Sheila. 
Oh, Auntie Sheila. Auntie so she's Michelle. Sheila. I'm disgusting. I hate my life. I, I even know, know that. We all hate ourselves. You know what? But I'm like, your mom is an icon and a celebrity and a legend, and I will be treating her as such. Of course. The Cranes, yeah. the Cokers. The Cranes. Like, yes, the whole crew. They were mentioned in the first episode. I mean, I'm, I'm going to show how really sick I am. In the first episode for the anniversary party, they were going through their list. So they're OGs. They're OGs. And then it was like embarrassing because she's so like, oh, yeah, they're lovely. And I'm like, have all these questions I want to ask, but I kind of piped down. I'm going to let it let the friendship unfold a bit. I know. It's like when Bravo people come on the show, I'm like, I can't I feel like I can't say how much I really know you. But like, I know your whole life. Well, I'm going to tell you something that you will I'm going to have to tell you because not two days ago, I was in New York City filming a video with an actress named Sonia Morgan. (gasps) Where I went to her home with a film crew. You went to the townhouse. And we did a comedy video together in which I played one of her. I was like, I'm going to intern for her for the day. Genius. and Like pickles. (laughs) Like pickles. And and I said, like, I'll never be able to live up to pickles. But Sonia's genuinely funny. Like, she really got into it, like, berating me. She's incredible. I was the oldest intern she ever had, which was hurtful, but also true. (laughs) She was great. No, she is the real deal. She is the best housewife. She is. You know, she and Teresa Judice, I have yes. to say, or Judice, like, question mark, who knows? Yeah. But I don't and think they know. They, I don't think they, they know. They don't. They switch every time. Yeah. Yeah. But I like what you said in your book. There's a difference between who we want to hang out with and who our favorite housewife is. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, I want to hang out with Portia Williams. I want to hang out with Heather right. Gay. I right. want to. And I also want to watch them. They're the best, too. But, like, a Sonia Morgan is, like, my kooky aunt that I am, like, embarrassed of her at a party. Right. But I also am so happy. And she's alive on her. She's the best ever. Totally. And they we, they can push us pretty far until they get, like, racist, oh. like Ramona. Oh, yeah. Ramona, I've let Ramona go. Yeah. I know. You have to be like, I, I can't. Not my I monkeys. Not my circus go. anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah. I can't go any further with Kelly Dodd and Ramona and Vicky G. No. But the other night I thought I was reading your book and I thought of you because my boyfriend or my fiance, whatever the fuck he is, recently like we were watching. I rewatched the seasons. You know what I mean? Like I just. Wow. Okay, you're really. Oh, no. It's it's sick. It's dawn till dusk every day. Like in the back. It's in the background (laughs) right now. Like Sutton Strack is right on the screen right now. The way some people have like CNN or like uh, my relatives in Florida, Fox News playing all the time. It's like you've got Bravo. Okay, exactly. Got so, it. like, when I wake up in the middle of the night, like, I would, I used to, I, I had a bad habit of turning on the TV, right? And one night, my fiancé woke up in the middle of the night, and he was like, why are they all these Italian women screaming in my bedroom? And I was like, oh, my God. I never thought, like, it's ambient sound to me. Uh, but So, that's what I say in my book. It's like waves crashing upon a shore. Yeah. Like, when I hear them yelling, I'm, I, my cortisol levels go down. Oh, me too. Other people seem to go up quite a totally. bit. Totally. I don't get that. I don't get I don't that. either. I don't get I don't, it. Me neither. But you're also in Gone Girl, which was my favorite movie of all time. Really? Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? Wow. No, it's very Housewives adjacent and it's in the same world. I yeah. Like. Gone Girl, like Girl on the Train. Yeah, yeah. That's girl. my genre. Yeah, all of you it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, re- I really love that. But one part, speaking of girls, something in your book that I just absolutely adore, and I just want to start here is how you talk about cool girls. Because that has been on my mind recently <laughs> in a way that I can't quite express. Like, I was texting with these two separate girls that didn't even know each other, blah, 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 but are cool girls, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Basically, cool girls is just the girls that are, like, so aloof and that you said, like, don't feel the need to, like, make others feel comfortable in yeah. conversation, right? <laughs> they don't and, feel that desire. Right. 
And they, like, equate caring with weakness. Like, that really, like, I wrote stars around that passage. Because I was like, <laughs> that is so genius. But we're, I'm texting, and these girls are both texting me in all lowercase letters. Right? They don't even have time to put it, to throw a capital on right, it. Right. No, that's yeah. how cool. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, put, turning my caps lock off, like, the whole time trying. Because all of a sudden, I look like I'm overexcited. Like, they I'm just, make you look desperate to be texting like a normal human. Right. I'm using proper capitalization. But that's what they want. That's what they want. <laughs> and it might be unconscious, but that's what they want. Right. And it's, it, it, I was like sitting there and I was like, Jade, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm looking on preferences to see how I permanently take the caps lock off. I'm like, well, how the fuck do they do this? How do they keep <laughs> this shtick up all the time? Like, do they text they their employer do. like that? They just do. Yeah. What employer? They're their own employer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So true. They don't answer to anyone. Yeah. So when did you absolve yourself? of needing to be a cool girl? I mean, gosh, I just, I think I've always known very clearly that I wasn't. I, mm-hmm. I, I I don't mean that to sound like I hate when people are like, I was so uncool, you know, in high school. It's like, no, I, I had friends. I, you know, all of that. But I wasn't the girl that's, you know, you're like, I, I think we think of like a Gwyneth Paltrow or like a Rashida Jones or Alexa Chung. You know, these are women that you're like, oh, they, have, they know something that I don't know about the world. They have it together. They're just, I'm intimidated by them. And I also maybe don't like them, even though I do. Mm-hmm. Any feelings I have that are negative toward them are just coming out of jealousy. <laughs> right, exactly. But I just want to be liked too much. And I think I, I, I'm not saying I'm such a great person, but I want people to feel good. And I don't like when people are left out. And I just don't think some women, not the aforementioned, but some women are concerning themselves with that as much. And it's just not a quality I love. Right. Like I heard one, someone say, I was having lunch with this a horrible girl. But anyway, that's irrelevant. And she was essentially saying, like, when in doubt, like, be cool. Just go for the cool option. Like, that's more important than anything. And she was like, you'll always, you won't be embarrassed of your past self if you always do that. What does that mean? I was like, this is like the craziest advice I've ever heard. If you just like, if your default is cool, I was like, how much effort do you have to put in? How unsafe must people feel around you? you Yes, yes. How unsafe. And also I'm like, what I don't get to see, I don't even know what the cooler option would be. So I don't even have a choice in front of (laughs) me. Like, I'm just like, I do things. And then later I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I were that or did that or said that, you know? Right. But that's why I'm annoyed that our uncoolness, like in Real Housewives, is now becoming cool. Do you know I what I mean? I see where you were going with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard for me because I'm, I was really living hard. in the shadows for a while. You mm-hmm. weren't. You really weren't. No. I mean, look. You were smart and made a penny off of it early. I did. I am also making money off the women. So yes, I, I, when we started, I have a podcast called Bitch Sesh about the housewives and we started it seven years ago. And I genuinely was like, I, I hope no one knows I'm doing this because it's so not, I, but it was still thoughts I needed to get out to the people, but I was like, I hope those people also don't know about it. It was very weird. (laughs) Do you go to BravoCon? I, you know, we were invited to do a panel. We haven't done it yet, but I, I haven't been, but I heard it's amazing. Yeah. But would you go aside from doing a panel? Would you go? Oh, God. I think, Tell I me the think truth. if we're saying the cooler option, I would probably only go as a panelist. <laughs> as talent. <laughs> so maybe I am uh, like your friend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, that girl. I would go as like a journalist or an authority, kind of a historian of the franchise. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. But I think about that girl and her advice all the time because I feel like I just humiliate myself through life. I have to like fall flat on my face. I have to embarrass myself. I embarrass myself really badly three times a year. 
Of course. So we are kindred spirits in more ways than one. But your opening of your book says, I am a bed person. Mm. And I was sucked in immediately because I, too, am a bed person. And so when (sighs) I read how you roll out a beach towel when you and your husband are, like, getting ready to have what I call a bed picnic, which is when you roll out a beach towel or a towel and eat on top of it. So, you you know, of course, we're not savages, so you don't mess up the sheets. When I read that passage out loud to my fiance, he was like, I thought that was just us. Yeah. And he was like, how open are you going to be about um about how much we do that on your show? And I was like, Dylan, I'm with my people. We're going to do it. We got to go sailed. full tilt. Yeah. It's, you know, go full tilt. but bed people aren't are not created randomly. We no. learn. We learn bed. Yeah. And so when I was reading that, I was like, <laughs> I learned bed. Now, where did you learn bed from your parents? Oh, hell yes. Okay. My mom yeah. was a bed mom. A <laughs> bed mom. She was a bed mom. When Literally. When what my, does that mean? Oh, oh, well, okay. So for me, it was like dark. You know what I mean? Bed moms have mental illness, right? Sure. So yeah. I'm right there with you. I got, gotcha. It was gotcha. dark, but it was also where we like had the most fun. Like yes. we ate, we ate peanut M&Ms. You guys yes. had peanut butter M&Ms and things. All my friends would pile in and that's where we hung out. Like my best friend from childhood, we were looking through photos the other day and she was like so innocently because she doesn't know all the therapy and shit I've had since. She was so innocently like, oh my God, remember when we just used to go like visit your mom in bed whenever we wanted to see her? And, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, like I do know that that's called clinical depression. I do remember that. But at the same (laughs) time, I'm right there with you in every way, shape and form. And I've never (laughs) met anyone who else's mom would like, hold court with their friends oh, yeah. from bed. No shame in her game. But still commanding respect, but it's like, but you are in bed with me. Like, can you imagine even today's world if I said to my son's friends, like, we're all jumping in bed. Like, and I guess it's girls' friends is different, but like, it's definitely, you don't see it every day. You definitely don't see it every day. Like when people come over to my house now, if I'm in bed, I like spring out, pretend I was never in there. I was like, oh my God. So, you know, so Me too. Crazy. When I'm napping, I... I, I even will find myself lying to my husband. I'll be like, I have to do a Zoom call. No, and I'll I... nap for like 20 minutes because my brain is like, I don't want to, you know, I have such, I have some dark associations with being in the bed, but <laughs> I did too. claim it in the book because I'm like, I don't want to end think like I'm that. No. My therapist is always like, it's okay to take a nap. It doesn't mean you're never getting out of that bed. Casey, I'm like, you have met your match. And I wow. swear. No, we have. It's the same thing because it's this twisted thing where like that's where we got our mom like nurturing us. Yes. That's where we got like our comfort and where like. Yes. So like if a bad thing happens, you can bet your fucking bottom dollar five minutes later I'm in bed. Oh, like, me too. I need, I need to just like recalibrate in there. Yes, like, that's where, regroup. You know? But then every time I'm like, will I ever get out of here? Right. Especially when my depression is flaring up. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to be my whole life again. Will I ever get out? But it's hard because you have this weird, it's a healthy, like, cope, soothing coping mechanism. But then it's also this thing that carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight because inherently, like, as much as I love to be in bed and eat all my meals in bed and Hello. work from bed and all of that. But, like, there is, I do have a, a, a exactly what you're saying, a connotation of, like, well, if someone's in bed a lot, typically something's going on, like a mental health standpoint or whatever, that is a bit darker. And, yeah, I'm right there with you. Well, so when I was reading your book, initially I thought to myself, like, okay, there's got to be something because, like, I know my situation. So I was like, who's just in bed? And then I was reading your book because you kind of let it be, like, an Easter egg later. You know, like, you reveal the seriousness of it. But I was like, wow, this girl really just got a bed 
situation you know what I mean just like learned bed like healthily you yeah. know and I feel like you can't you never you can't you, you can't you know you're not just getting in bed yeah, yeah no yeah mm-hmm. do you restrict yourself from being in bed <laughs> it doesn't seem like it does it I do try I don't and then I do like if something bad is happening in bed that's when my alarm goes off more but I but my husband is really into bed behavior too. And he, his parents, they were up and at him. So I'm like, well, maybe right. it's not so Same bad. Same with my you know? fiance. Yeah. But I mean, who doesn't like to be at the, in bed the, at the end of the day? But like we really, before we had kids, we could really spend like full day or two in there. <laughs> Just now that I have kids, it's like, I got to get out. No, that's know? why I'm scared of having kids. Cause I'm like, can a bed person have kids? Well, we also sleep with our kids a lot, which it, I, not because I'm some like hippie parent that's like the co. It's more no, like so laziness sweet. and it's sweet yeah. and they're four and six. And I'm just like, are they going to be sleeping in the same bed with me when I'm, I hope not, you know, right, unless right. I have those problems. <laughs> right, but like, right. I don't know. It is just such a comfortable place. And it's a very, so you're really illuminating something for me. It's a very comfortable place for me to relate to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like before bed, like t- listening, talking about their day and like being theirs to me is like, my girlfriend's mom did this thing. It was popular in like the 80s called holding time, which I actually think is really amazing where with each kid, because she had three, she would spend 10 to 15 minutes in bed every night with that one child where they would have special time with her, like talking about their day and kind of getting held. And so I'm like trying to pretend that's what I'm doing. I know. Let's let's go with that. I love that. Yeah, let's I'm just, going yeah, with that. That's us. I like yeah. that. Let's yeah. just pretend that's us. Me yeah, because it's, it's true. When you have a mom like you and I have, you know, and I want to get more into that with you. Yeah. It's hard because your mom sounded like such a powerhouse, like cool, fun, lively person. Yes. You know? And so like- Very. and And my mom is the same. And was that hard for you to come out about in the book? Because did you feel like it detracted from the memory of her? It was very hard because, mm-hmm. you know, my my mom was this like a feminist leader and in our town, everybody loved her. She was very vivacious and gorgeous and very funny, but also very strong woman and like would tell someone exactly what was up if things, you know, like but people were right. like, I cannot believe your mom just said that. But it would be always like the right thing that someone else would want to say to where, you know, very like that quote from Steel Magnolias, like, if you can't say something nice, come sit by me. Energy that people want to be around. (laughs) But at the same, by the same token, I do think a lot of times what goes up must come down in some ways. Like those people that are bigger than life and I think give a lot or have a lot to offer can be very sensitive. And so my mom did fall into like a lot of addiction issues and specifically um, with this drug Ritalin for energy. And my mom actually started taking it well, A, for like weight loss, but B, to be a mom because she had a full-time job. She was raising two kids. My dad traveled a ton. And so the root of it was very kind of sad, which was like, I want to do it all. I want to be able to do everything and kind of be everyone to everything. But then that drug has a massive like downside and hence the bed. You're up and then you're down. It's quite literally. All to say, I really was like, gosh, I want to tell this because I want to try to, not that I'm Mother Teresa, but like help people or you know, express how this can be. and But mainly the duality of people with addiction or people with mental illness. I really hate like, and not to, I hope a little small trigger warning, but if someone maybe takes their life, what I hate is that that's what's focused on. It's like, and that's not the case with my mom, but it's like, everyone's fucking doing their best. And this is not them, actually. This is not their soul. And People are so much more than like whatever they're addicted to or whatever is going on with them totally. from a mental health perspective. 
So very long answer to say my main goal with it was to be a love letter to my mom and with under that umbrella and framework explaining that there was like addiction at play. Right. No, like that letter moved me beyond because obviously like I deal with the same stuff. I struggle with whether it's her story or mine, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I think it's complicated because your mom is still alive. Right. You know, I mean, don't think I didn't go to every healer and psychic and everyone and ask like. Right. Like, is it okay? Be mad? Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I think if you have any family member or friend or whatever who struggles with addiction, you often feel like you throw the baby out with the bathwater if you say that the person is an addict because you're like. Okay, does this does this eliminate all of their inc- and by the way, addicts often have unbelievable qual and mentally ill people, you know, like they love are love to hang out with addicts. Much you more know? fun. Let's be real. But they're just emotionally like their depth and they're complicated. You know yes. what? It's just yes. like and yes. they're they can be brilliant and tortured and you know, whatever. Yeah. And so, but I always felt like, God, like I wish I could tell both sides of the story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I really think you did that so beautifully. Well, thank you. But I also think as a child of an addict, there's also that need to protect the parent. That's Mm -hmm. also very strong. That's also not a good thing either of like, I'm protecting this secret or this thing and I want everyone to think everything's normal and and I look over here and... And so that also was the one little bit of grace I gave myself, which is like, no, this is actually the story that happened. Yeah. Did you find a lot of healing once you put that to paper? I genuinely did. Yeah. And it sounds like a little cheesy. I always say like the book was healing because it's like, well, I guess everybody says that. But it really was true in this case. And, you know, I had to ask my dad and my brother. I really wanted to get clear with them. of like, are you okay? You know, it's obviously my version of the story, but I just didn't want anyone sitting there going, wow, I can't believe you would tarnish someone's, whatever it is. I know. It's so hard. It's so heavy. So heavy, but they were very generous and just like, this is actually like, and my brother really said, if anyone reaches out from this and has gotten something out of it, I really think it's worth it. And and the response was so strong of people, you know, still living with parents or whomever that has addiction or people who've lost people. It's, it's so, it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, did you get a lot of people that said that they deal with it too? I was blown away. I couldn't even believe it. And I actually shared a lot with my dad and brother and we were just, it was staggering. Wow. Just there's the grief surrounding all of that, you know, and it it, it was unbelievable. I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll get like a text here or there, but it, it was unbelievable. Well, speaking of your mom and something that I really, I loved every chapter. I can't say which one I loved most, but I loved when you talked about Mother's Day. Yeah, because that was something that came up recently, and one of my best friends, her mom died when we were, when she was nineteen, and it's something that around that day I was like, okay, what do I do? You know, like yeah. what, as her friend, how do I handle this? What's too much? How do I meet her where she's at? She feels differently like every year, you know, like but what's something I can do as a friend? What do I want to say? Do I avoid posting my mom because like I don't want to feed into like that yeah. whole ick and like by the way like I have my own shit you know what I mean yeah 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 so I just wondered for you what was that day like for you this year you know it was actually a great mother's day I celebrated one of my best friends got married in Ojai and then had he had like a mother's day brunch and it actually was okay it's so strange Mm -hmm. it's like now that I have my own kids it's gotten a lot better because the focus is 
on me. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, hello. <laughs> you got Dr. Gross skin mask with the red and blue lights for my husband. Oh, felt, my God. Felt that's, really good. That's felt fancy. Really, yeah, felt really good. I have my Dr. Dennis Gross right here. Look, yeah. you know, products <laughs> go a long way. Yes. But it was okay. But then, you know, the pandemic years was horrible. Of course. I have so many girlfriends and people who so many people have lost, you know, but then you're going along that day like everything's good. And then suddenly you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And you got to get right in the bed again. Right. Is it the days before? Is, is it leading up to it? What does it feel like? Can you explain for someone who hasn't lost a parent? How do you feel most seen by your friends and how do you appreciate them reaching out to you? That's so interesting. Honestly, like even friends, if they just send me a text, it's so sweet. You know, I think I think there's something about just such a national public day of celebration of something that you're not taking a part of. It just feels very hard, but also... It's also important to remember like what you said, which is like, not that I want people to have bad relationships, just saying like everyone's going through, even when people are alive, there's things we're all, you know, going through. But I think those days just deeply highlight loss. Um, But I also feel like I'm glad when people post their moms too, because that's, you know, everybody's got their things. Yeah. So, but I like how you were talking about like the do's and don'ts. I thought that was illuminating because it's oh. like when people complain about like, oh my God, my mom, she's so annoying. She bought me like four outfits or like she called me 17 times. Like that must be infuriating. Sometimes I do get, you know what? It's it's just always the intention of the person. If there's a friend, like I know they're so empathic and lovely. Like right. I'm so down to hear anyone bitch about whatever, right. you know. Right. But then there's just some friends where I'm like, they're just so clueless. Or people, you know, where they just are so kind of self-involved, they can't really ever understand where someone else might not be in that space with them. Totally. So when did she pass? My mom passed, when, oh God, about 16 years ago. 16 years. Like How old were you? 24, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so younger. let's go back to 24. Or let's go back to 23-year-old Casey. Yeah. So what were you doing? You had just moved to LA right before she died. I had just moved to LA and I had just done um, an audition for this Christopher Guest movie called For Your Consideration, which was, I'd never been in a movie. And so I was like, oh my God, my mom and I are obsessed with Christopher Guest and we're obsessed with this movie. So this was, I was like, I'm a star. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, hello. just just auditioned. Duh. And so that I called my mom and that was the last conversation I actually had with her as I was telling her, I was like, oh my God, I auditioned for this movie. Then, but I was just struggling actress living with like five friends, sharing one car, my phone just shut off all the time. I'd be like asking people for money to get my phone back right. on. It would just cut off while we were talking. I was like, I hope they heard me. Um, but but yeah, so then she passed away of a heart attack the next day. And so this totally is just out of nowhere. Totally out of nowhere. But, you know, I don't know, honestly, the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I truly don't. But I think most likely perhaps not totally unrelated to the Ritalin after years of, you know, um, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that for another like 15 years or so. But, but one interesting thing was that, so obviously I totally forget about that audition. I go home, not to make it about my career, but this was, I thought just more interesting. Yes. I go home, you know, have the funeral, a full year goes by. I'm back writing in a writer's room on like a terrible television show with my friend And I get this call from my manager and she's like, it's so strange uh, that Christopher Guest movie has been totally edited. They've even done like test screenings. They're adding one more scene. And there's like one girl that they need. 
um, would you want to leave work and audition? So, of course, pretending I had to run to the doctor, always leaving for auditions. Right. And I went and auditioned and I got the part. And so I was still in the movie. And it was such a weird, like there are those, those things where you're like, I don't even, I feel like it was my mom's, there was something in there of that being like our last conversation that it actually kind of came true, even though it was a year later. And maybe it's not, but I'm taking it as a Oh, no, like what a full circle moment. Yeah, it was really beautiful. So exactly a year later. Exactly a year later. They were like, we're adding one part for an actress who's 25. I said, I'll be there. (laughs) Wow. And I thought I bombed the audition. I cried and cried in the the garage only because it was so much weight on it about my mom. I wasn't even crying because I was like, I didn't do well. I'm like, I met Christopher Guest. Now I've like let my mom down. Like I had all this on it. And then they call and they're like, oh, he cast you. I know another job that had a lot of pressure on it was when you got your breakout role on SNL. Yeah. I just loved you sharing that and being so transparent about kind of like your first big break and it not being all you wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, and I think that that is a situation that all of us or a lot of us deal with at some point, you know, and it's so relatable and it's so how you felt like you were on a greater scale. You know, you were in front of millions of people. But you just probably felt like everyone was looking at you, you know? Can you tell that story and where you were at emotionally? Yeah. So right after that, uh, my starring role in the Christopher Guest movie had three lines. Um, I got cast on Saturday Night Live, so I moved to New York. But I was just truly, (laughs) I mean a mess of a human in every way, shape, and form. I mean, you were a grieving 25-year-old? Yes, but also just like, you know, dating this one, that one, like just a mess. And so I moved there, and I was the only one that got on the show at that time, so there was no new writers or no new cast members coming in. And I'm I'm not making any excuses, but it was just a wild entry point. Most people come in with, like, eight people or whatever, so you kind of, like, pair up. A a class. A class. I came in, and it was just so tough, you know? And I so fucking tip my hat to everyone on that show that succeeds on it because it's so difficult. And I would be just like knocking on people's doors. It was like going on a thousand blind dates or I always say like going to a dinner party and nobody introduces you to anyone. So you're just like wandering around and I just be like knocking on people's doors. Like, do you want to write with me? It was just my nightmare of like feeling so desperate and like thirsty and then not doing well. And I kind of just knew in the back of my head the whole time. I'm like, I know I made a tape for this and I auditioned and I got on it, but I actually just don't think I have the right skill set. So then I'm trying to hide that back. It was just bad. And how many seasons were you on it? Like Only two. Only two. Two is a lot, though. That's like I, how many shows? I don't know. It was like half one season because I came in the middle of the year and then another season. Right. Do you look back and does that still get to you? Like, do you still cringe at oh, that yeah. or have you moved oh, past yeah. it? No. Right? No, like, <laughs> no, haven't moved past. I, 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 I actually love Lauren Michaels. He was great to me. I love the cast. Like, I don't have those stories where I'm like, and then that person, it just isn't great. Right. No, like I had a cringe moment with Oprah years ago and I was like, fuck, because now I like see her. I mean, I still love her. I've rewritten history, but not a bad moment. It's just an embarrassing moment. Yeah. And now I'm like, fuck, because she's everywhere. I'm like reminded of this cringy, yes. horrible moment, like yes. all of the time, you oh, know, and I feel like that's like, like SNL. Oprah, yes. SNL and Oprah are up there. It's like, you're not getting away from them. No. Everyone's like, did you see SNL last week? And you're like, oh. yeah. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> Sunday mornings, I wake up and watch it first thing. I love it. Do you? I do. I still love it. Can you watch your seasons? 
Never. Oh my gosh, no. Right. Never watch me, but I have such respect for the people that do it and for it as an art form. And Oh, beyond. I love it. Now, if I wasn't working as an actor, I would never watch it. Right. (laughs) But it was just a mess, you know? It was like wrong time. I I do sometimes think I'm like, God, if I could have just done it like 10 years later, I think I would have had my like life together a bit better. But isn't that the motto for everything? Like if I just just 10 years later, I wouldn't have been so humiliated. You know how they're like, like right place, wrong. It it was like right place, wrong time. Like I was. uh, (laughs) It's so funny, though, because um, James Franco did a documentary about it. And while I was there for a week and then. After I was let go, it like came out and he's like, I love you in the documentary. Now, I was like, what I will not be doing as long as I live is watch that documentary. So then, of course, I watch it immediately. And it was so funny because in my head, I was wandering around like a psychotic ghost or something. Meanwhile, I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm making people laugh or I'm in the mix. It's all good. You know, we just have such a. It's never as bad as like. Yes, even though it was bad, it wasn't that bad. Right, like yeah. I the the cringy moments though. Like you think back and you're just like, God, I wish everyone could erase that memory of me and just meet yeah. me now and get to know me now. You know, you're just yes. like humiliated of how you like represented yourself. Yeah, and people are always like, it's amazing you got on, and I'm like, right. But like, what we don't see are the people that didn't get on that are now doing well. There's a right. lot of them. Like you just saw that I did get on and that I wasn't on. <laughs> So tell me about when you got let go. What does being let go from something like that equate to? Well, it's very strange, but, you know, Lauren is an older gentleman, and the way it was done is that they send a fax to your manager. And so, oh, I got a fax. I hilarious. know. And so my manager represented uh, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader and Bobby Moynihan. And so she's like, the faxes are coming in like slowly and like dropping off the fax onto the floor and only three came through. And so she called me and she was like, basically like there was only three faxes. <laughs> wow. What an old school way to find it was out. Very I'd be old like, school. can we have something more definitive, please? Yeah, like an email maybe or like a text. Yeah. So then you're just dropped on your ass. You don't like. Yeah. Well, speaking of Kardashians, and I wrote about this in the book, but that is when I it's like, what's this show? Now I'm on Talk About in Bed. Now I was on a couch, but still basically bed, right? Oh, So I, I didn't have a job. So now I'm like two weeks or so, you know, I'm needing a job. But instead what I'm doing is eating like every single thing in sight, sitting on the couch, uh-huh. and I watch Kardashians. So there, it felt like there was already like a thousand seasons, and this was a long time ago. So there's now like a billion seasons. What year was it? I don't know. I know everyone wants me to tell them what year it was. I want to say 2006. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, well, it just started in 2006. Maybe like 11 or 12 years ago. There was many seasons when I started. Maybe three. But I watched every single episode and I became so obsessed. I was like, why don't I have Chris in my life? Like my mom's dead, but they've got Chris and I need Chris. Like I got very obsessed and into Chris. Chris has always been my kind of like touch point is Chris and Chloe. But Mm -hmm. I will tell you what, that show lifted me up. I know. But I I do feel like real fans like us all go through that moment where we say to ourselves like yeah. why didn't our mom fucking pimp us out like hello yeah, like why didn't you help tape? me out why yeah why didn't you just like make yeah. me do some shit you know Please. when i was i could have done it all you know right i know <laughs> at some point but so tell me about that time like when you were in how many months was that so it was only like a month or two because then um in our business they have a single pilot season where actors like audition for every single thing and i became like 
truly a drill sergeant where I put up like can't even describe it. Like, you know, when they're looking for a murder suspect and you have like pins and like string yes. leading to all these people. I basically did that in my living room of all the pilots I'd auditioned for. The journal entries I have to myself are so crazy. It's like, if you don't get another job, you should basically no longer exist on planet Earth. Oh, it was like, you okay. will get another job. You will get another job. You will not go down like this. Like, this will not be the situation where you're off SNL and nobody ever hears from you again. Like, it was beyond like a missive for myself. Right. So then all your self-worth came. Everything. Was in your career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I didn't get anything, but then I got the last kind of like pilot out of the station. I somehow got, which was truly shocking. And, and actually that show changed my life in every way, shape, and form. Wow. So I met my husband on that show and had my kids from it. And that's right. So it was unhealthy the way I got there, but ended up being such a happy experience. It was a show called Happy Endings. I want to watch that so badly. Now that I know that your husband created it. Yeah, it's fun. It's amazing. When you first got fired, I know that you thought that maybe it was about weight or tied to weight in some way. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I, I was let go. And then an article came out in The Hollywood Reporter that said I had been let go for being overweight. And so I then I'm like really spiraling. And I just also didn't have a publicist or not to be like poor me, but at the time I just didn't know what to do. And SNL called and they're like, you need to make a statement saying that that's not why you were fired. Now, if this had all happened to me now, I would have been like, I'm not saying (laughs) shit. Like, A, I don't know if that's true. And B, like, I don't owe you that. And C, like, so instead I'm like a good student. I like start crafting this statement. And as I'm writing it, I realize there's really no way to say I wasn't fired for being fat without saying like, I was just fired because they didn't think I was funny. (laughs) Right. It was just so crazy. That's so twisted to have you do it. Twisted. And, but I did it and I went down, all my buddies worked at Funny or Die at the time. And Mm. I go down there and I was, I was driving there again, like uh, someone should have been crafting this for me, like an adult person, like (laughs) me and like three comedy improv guys. And I said, look, I want to try to put us in the headspace of Will Ferrell. Like what would Will Ferrell say if he was made to do this? Let's just make a joke because I'm not going to release a serious statement of me being like, they believed I was overweight. Yeah. (laughs) I... (laughs) So and we, it, right. Yeah, we wrote something so stupid, uh, so stupid. It did kind of make me laugh. It, it's not funny, but we were just like, we're going to just laugh this off you ha- and exactly. keep it moving. That's the only reaction you can have to something like that. But like, what did that, did that have a huge lasting impact on your self-esteem? You know, it did and it didn't. I, I've always had pretty good self-esteem. <laughs> I don't, I think that is for my mom and dad, like, I think you're just born sometimes that way, thank God. Yeah, and my parents really were for all of the faults in our stars. They were very much like, you can do anything. And I was like, okay, great. Like, I believe that. Okay, perfect. Yes. But obviously, it doesn't feel great. And I wish I was part of the body positive generation, what I would give. It didn't feel right. great. So, you know, I will not lie. I had a big reaction to it. And I, I did lose a good amount of weight. But I remember at the time, it wasn't even like, I hate myself, I'm overweight. It was more like... I'm so tired of people writing about this that it was really more self-protective. I was like, I actually just need to f- want to fly under the radar. And unfortunately, in our society, like the, that radar is is means being or at least it felt at the time like a certain size. And so in some ways, I wish I could have harnessed this like, well, fuck them, fuck this. But I was just like, I'm so scared and tired of being like a target 
that I just rather lose weight and keep it moving for myself. And right. yeah, so I did. It's almost like if you hadn't even felt that way about yourself beforehand, like they will make you feel that way. Yes, yes. And I remember I got so many, SNL's a very vicious fan base, I'll say that, mm-hmm. that I've never felt. I mean, the show I was on after that Happy Endings for three years, when I tell you I've never gotten one rude comment, people are like, you know, and and they just like the show, they like the character, fine. But it's just like, it's like nice people that are like, that show made me laugh and I blah, blah, blah. On SNL, if you come on there and, and you you aren't like I hit, they're like, get the fuck off our screen, you fat fuck. Like, it's right. so dark. It's that 11 p.m. crowd. It is like, because <laughs> people just, the show is such an institution and it means so much to people. And at the time when all these comments were coming in, like about my weight, I just was so delusional and naive. I'm like calling all my friends. I'm like, you guys need to write comments that I'm that I'm not fat, and and I need Aww. you guys to write these comments. And 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 I'm thinking like I can attack it by other people writing good comments. And finally, my friend was like, basically, like too many are coming in. We <laughs> we don't have time for this. But she was just kind of like, people are gonna, you know. So it was just energetically not a good fit. Right. So then you were, when you were let go, how old were you? And then when you got happy endings, how old were you? My God, it was like three months later. So I don't even know how old I was. I know this sounds crazy. My friend said it's bizarre. I don't touch down on dates. I think I was 27 or so. Okay. 28. Yeah. 27 or 28. I celebrated my 30th birthday at happy endings. So, and that's like exactly the time. Like that's like your Saturn return or whatever the Yes, hell. that Saturn really shot me out and then spit me out and <laughs> right. just kept on moving. So then after that, when did you have your babies? I had, so I met my husband on that show and I got married when I was like 31 and 30. No, no, no. Oh my God. I got married later than that, like 33. Then I had my first son a year after that because I'm 41 now. So I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And they called both of those geriatric pregnancies? That's correct. And one At of them 33 obese. and one of them obese. No. Um. Okay, 35. I'm like, how old am I? One was at 34. One was at 37. I think my second one was geriatric. That's insane. I mean, I guess the what, they what need I to change the say, words. They need the new words, but Mother Nature wants us to have kids at like 14. And we're like, right. how about 45? Right. <laughs> I know. I know. It's true. So- when you went through your pregnancies, was weight a concern or the way that your body looked or your relationship with food did that? I mean, it wasn't great. I gained such an amount of weight that people were like, oh, hey, whoa, you know, um, I love food and I just feel so sick the whole time that I just kept eating. And in my head, I was like, ha. I, I, I don't know why I just, I was so depressed through both my pregnancies. I know it seems like I never have any fun times, but I really do. I want everyone to know. <laughs> you have I'm a lot of fun a quite times. quite joyful person. Um, <laughs> the but, pendulum swings both ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm leaving out a lot of fun times. <laughs> That's the show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there were fun times. <laughs> That's the show. That's the nature of the show. Okay, great. But yeah, I, I was pretty, pretty down. I mainly had bad postpartum, postpartum after both my births with my second son. I was depressed during the birth too. So it was just not a great time. I do think pregnancies get harder and harder when you get older and the hormones, what happens there, especially if you're prone to any depression is Mm -hmm. tough. When did you first notice depression? Right after I gave birth to my first son, I was going along because you have this like euphoria from you know, everything. And then like anesthesia starts to kind of like leave your body. If you had, um, epidural, 
And you're kind of like, I feel pretty sad, but I think I'm good. And then you're like, I'm feeling good. And then I literally remember the day I was talking to my girlfriend on the phone and she goes, how are you? And I felt almost like my body drive off a cliff practically, like in my head. I was like, something's very wrong. And I've had little depression here and there, but nothing like mostly circumstantial kind of. Okay. No, that's interesting. So nothing. Yeah. Because when it's not circumstantial, it will circumstantial will rock you to your core also but when it's not it's like what the you lose your whole sense of direction you're like i don't know what where's up where's down but you know it is circumstantial in that it's you know the i went to see a a woman yeah Yeah, she's like it's like taking a dust buster to your hormones and i think apparently the same thing happens like when women go into menopause and and it's rough I had it after my abortion, you know, like I had, cause I had, I was yes, pregnant because everything and then I comes was not, to you. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, whoa, like you're just out of your mind. Like out of your, it's really, really tough. Yes. So how yes. did you get through that? And then how did you prepare yourself for the second time around? <sighs> well, I wish I had done. So I got on, you know, I just went to see my OBGYN. She's like, mm-hmm. take Soloft. I'm like, great. But I didn't, and I was in therapy, but I didn't take it the one step further, which is like, see, see a postpartum psychiatrist, you know, do that work. So I take Soloft for a year. Then I'm like, okay, I want to have another kid. I get off it. And that was my crucial, crucial mistake. And I wish someone had told me this, that if you have postpartum once, you're pretty 80, 85% going to have it again. If you have it twice, you're pretty much definitely going to have it again. And I should have stayed on medication through my pregnancy. I didn't think about it and I, nor did I even try to get on it once things were really going south. So then I had perinatal depression. And then after the second one, things were like, it's almost like much darker. And something else I'll just share with women that I didn't know is that if you have some mental illness in your gene line, uh, postpartum can kick it up. Oh. But like really kick it up, but like can't come back from it, kick it up. And so... Just if you've had two episodes of postpartum, really think about that before you have a third. That's my PSA to everyone um, that I've learned through friends and and research on this. But then I got a proper, a wonderful psychiatrist. You know, she specialized in this. And so both times I was just so lucky, but really I, I had to take medication. Yeah. I would love for you to tell the story of when your dad told you about your mom and, and Oh, Ritalin. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for me and knowing that it's in my genes – it makes you take those falls like a lot more seriously and in a way that it's a lot more terrifying every time because you're like, oh, I know that I have this in my genes. I know that I'm capable of this. Did it change your view of yourself? And can you tell the story of when your dad first told you? Yes. So yeah, I definitely felt, I think when you have postpartum, or at least I'll speak for myself, but there's a lot of like, oh my God, I'm a terrible mom. I'm not doing this right. My sons are going to feel this. I'm I'm not connecting. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and I really did connect to my kids. I just felt like there was like glass between us. And then I had a ton of paranoia where I was like, it's kind of funny now. It's not really funny. I would like look at cars driving down and picture them just like exploding and engulfing everyone in flames. Like just really dark things where you're like, how did I, and then your brain's like, did I just see that? Um, right. And then, yeah, so I, but I'm a huge proponent of medication when people need it and not feeling ashamed of it and, and all of that. But with postpartum, one more little PSA is that your hormones take a year to reset. So a lot of people will go on them for a couple of months and then be like, I'm good, but it's like a whack-a-mole. Like it pops up. So yes. you have to really clamp it down for a full year. That's just another small PSA. No, that's important. Because some people are like, I'm feeling good. I'm just going to like take walks and stuff. And it's like, it will come back and it actually will come back with a vengeance. 
Yes. So yes. I'm sorry to have to share all no, this No, that's news. absolutely true. Am I a doctor? Yes. No. Yes, <laughs> a doctor, doctor of comedy. But yeah, so when I was pregnant with my second, I had told my dad at one point I, in between kids, was like, I'm going to lose weight. And my friend, who shall remain nameless, an actor, <laughs> a gay male actor, was like, you can go to this place and they'll give you like a shot or they'll give you, it's almost like a fentramine or, you know, one of those things. Okay. Like, yes, yes, yes. That basically like, yeah, of course. Like kind of, you don't feel great on it. Let me tell you, like speeds up your heart, but you're not hungry. But you know inherently, like on edge. It, oh yeah, and you know inherently in every cell of your body, like what you're doing is wrong. Like <laughs> you're just like this is wrong, to the point that I mentioned it to my dad, and and I was kind of joking or whatever. And then like three months went by. Please know, dear listeners, I was off the fence me. Now I'm pregnant, and I my dad calls me out of the blue, and he's like, I. I was just thinking about something you had said that's really stuck with me. And my dad is not like a real sensitive kind of, he's an amazing guy, but he's a big joker. But he's never like, I need to talk to you, like ever. Right. And he's like, you told me you were taking that stuff that kind of like sped up your heart. And so I, I have to tell you something. And so I had never known, I'd known something was terribly wrong at points in my childhood with my mom being in bed, like shutting the door. A lot of weekends, we just like, she would be in bed. And then other times would be there like so full force. And he said, you know, but I, I didn't want to tell you this because he also struggled with that, like, wanting to yeah, keep someone. Yeah, the bubble. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. actually really appreciate it because – so he basically said, you know, for off and on, my mom had been addicted to Ritalin and that when she died, he'd found some in her purse and he kind of thought she'd been off of it too. And so he was just like, I really can't stress enough. This is in our gene line and that's like – that basically is that. It's the same thing. And like, I just have to tell you this. And I think when you hear something like that, it was like, you know, one way to take it is to be like so sad and horrified. Obviously, I mainly was just sad for my mom that she had to do that. But mainly I felt so much relief, like knowing what the hell had been going right. on. Right. Yes. Because when you live in that gray area, you're like, what the hell? You what know, am I seeing here? You know something's weird. Yes. You know, like as a child, you know something's different than your friends' houses. Yes. Or di- you know, like, you know, and you and I had moms that di- would disappear for a little bit, you know, go into their rooms and retreat. Like, and then to not, to, to know that and be able to unravel your childhood and examine it from that vantage point, there was probably a piece of it that was empowering. Yes. It was it's like trying to understand something and not having the main piece. Right. It was like I see everything else, but truly it is a puzzle without the main thing. And then mm-hmm. once that was like clicked into place, I'm like, okay, now I know exactly what I was seeing. One million percent. Everything makes sense to me. So I, I was actually really relieved to know and and now that I was a parent and I'd had I'd already had one son. I was like, oh, my God, parenting is so fucking hard. Like, we think life is hard. It is nothing, with all due respect to you and to anyone without kids. But it no, is really hard. The compassion and grace you can have for your parents once you become yes, one that's is what something I, mean. I look forward to. I more just meant it's – yeah, like, when you don't have kids, it's – I was just very much in a loop a lot of times in therapy. Like, this happened to me. That happened to me. Then I had kids, and I'm like, oh, my God, come on. You're like, because I'm going to be the reason that my kids are in yes. therapy someday, and I'm just trying my goddamn hardest out Good. here. I'm buying them already, like, 10 packs, you know? Like, <laughs> of course, you have yeah. to. Yes. Sock it away for them. And it's also a sense of humor. You don't, you know what I mean? No trauma, yes. no sense of humor. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. I was actually just thinking that my people save up for their kids' college. I should just save up for their therapy and yes. probably like addiction center. <laughs> Hello, but don't you ever come to a point where you start liking yourself and you're yeah. like, okay, I had this really weird childhood and this, I had these traumas and things. And like when you said in your book, like my kid is growing up so much better, but more affluent in other things than you. Are you ever worried? Where are they going to get bumped around? You know, like, that's my fear. Of course. Of course. It's it's the main, like, conundrum of parenting is, like, we're, like, we want to raise resilient children, but we don't want anything bad to happen right. to them. And right. so it's, like, well, how are they supposed to, you know, fight back, especially if we're, like, trying to micromanage everything for them? And Totally. It's just so hard. I have no answers in that department because watching a kid be in pain over anything is so devastating. But also that's life, and we can't protect anyone from the pain of life. Right. So Ritalin is an ADHD medication, yes. right? Like it's yes. an adjacent of Adderall and yes, other things, Yes, yeah. It's right? basically what Adderall was then in the 80s. Right. So would she parent in spurts? No, she would parent, I would say, like 90% of the time. The thing about Ritalin is it gets you going. I mean, my mom would be like hammering and like making like – I, I like – putting together things for like my class play at like two in the morning. It was almost, sometimes it was like parenting on drugs. I mean, really like <laughs> right. the, the outpouring of love and help and running every committee. And like, it was a lot of that energy. Like, what would really. they call her? Like Kathy would do anything for her daughter. Kathy, right? I'll do anything for my daughter. Yes. So. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. But then like that, with that drug, when you, it, it kind of pulls out of your system. It's really dark, really gnarly. Right. Adderall's the same. Adderall's tough. If it, obviously, if you're prescribed it, that's one thing. But if not, so what you were experiencing as a child was all of a sudden answered for you after she's gone. Yes, yes, right. Yes, and yes. so, what did that do for you? Did you all of a sudden think to yourself, did you know that you'd had addictive traits or tendencies before? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I think, and, and I also think it's so funny. People are like, I have addiction in my family. I'm like, doesn't everybody now? Like right. <laughs> at this point, but yeah, but I definitely have addictive traits. I, honestly, even to like work, even to parenting, mm -hmm. even to my friendships. Like I just really, you know, when I'm into something, I'll get into it. And similarly with like, I love sugar. I love, you know, God bless for whatever reason. I, I it hasn't seemed to come out in ways of like alcohol or drugs, but I definitely like, I've had my share of struggles with just eating too much and, you know, I just have those tendencies. Let's be honest. Like if someone like gives me like a Xanax on a plane, I'm like, I could easily have a thousand trillion more. <laughs> you know, I have to like kind of curb myself because I, I curb my enthusiasm in those <laughs> yes. areas. <laughs> we have to curb our enthusiasm in the yeah. drug category. Yeah. No, it's true. But did that, so you knew that you'd had those before, but like, did this scare you? At all? Uh, yeah, it definitely did. I was like, oh, my God, I'll never go on that shit again. And I was embarrassed, honestly, that I even, like, did that. And mm -hmm. truly embarrassed. And, and I'm at such a different place now with eating and with body image. I'm just like, yeah, I, I look how I look. Do we all possibly want to be, like, 10 pounds? So, yeah, whatever. But who the fuck cares? Like, if we're alive, we should be so fucking happy. After coming out of these past two years. Yeah. And it's so funny because I always think about, like, I am never looking at another woman to me. I'm just always like, oh, that woman looks great. Like, we're so just harder on ourselves, I think, unless I guess maybe some cool girls or some mean <laughs> girls. But like, generally, <laughs> my thoughts surrounding body, like, I wish I could just be as charitable 
Like right. Whenever I see another woman, I'm like, oh my God, you look so wonderful. I have such appreciation for women in all shapes and sizes. And then with myself, I'm like, like I, right now I'm very upset that I'm wearing this great t-shirt for you. And I wanted to give you more, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm wearing my um, sea lion t-shirt. You so look great. I, I wanted to give more, but I'm so sorry. You know that. what? No, the full moon has got me in some type of way. I swear to God. <laughs> I swear. I'm like all confused. Yeah. Are you mean to yourself? Yes, I think so. It's gotten a lot better, especially since I turned 40. I'm just kind of like, whatever. Yeah, they say like each decade gets a little. Yeah, I think I'm way less. So I used to be, it actually was a trait that helped me a lot in terms of my career uh, to like be really driven. I think it was actually kind of advantageous, not like suggesting it, but I'm so driven and almost had like, you know, I think addiction to work was like actually my main addiction of just like to, to wanting to succeed and wanting, but, but but really I wanted to create. It was coming from wanting to be artistic, but not as much like I have to su- be successful in quotes, like more just like I have to get my art out there. <laughs> it was like kind of right. lame, like a lame addiction. Dorky. <laughs> no, it's that's not a dorky addiction at all. <gasps> Were you a perfectionist? Oh my God. Also? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like on one hand, it's your greatest asset. And on yes. one hand, it's the hardest thing about being in your head. You know, yes. you're just like, God, like, is, Ed, is everyone this mean to themselves? Yeah. And it's a hard cycle to break out of. Did you find the 12-step program helpful in getting out of that? I did. You know, I did a 12-step program for eating. I, I'm actually not – I don't do it anymore. Not because of I, – I actually just think in a – if I'm being totally honest, I probably belong in like an Al-Anon situation. I'm in Al-Anon. Yes. Yeah. But I honestly haven't gotten myself together to go. And that's the saddest answer one could give. No, I do it all the time. I mean, you can't force it either. You know what I mean? You have to like meet yourself where you're at and just like, because otherwise you're going to resent it, you know? Yes. And I've definitely like always go into the literature and whenever I take that quiz online, I just laugh because it's every single one. I'm like, yes, 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 (laughs) yes, yes. It's like, oh God. But um, I... I actually, and I think a lot of people in 12 Steps probably could bounce around to a few, you know, we could all just dip in and out of a Uh few. Well, did you know that you can do the 12-step program through Al-Anon? You can do the 12 Steps? Yes, I did know that. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it feels like everyone should be doing the 12 Steps, is my Every, I mean, the world would be. The world. It is. It's the greatest social kind of invention of our times. Yeah. It really is. Genuinely is. Yep. I feel like we have even more to unpack. I just love talking to you so much. Oh, thank you. But I wonder one last thing. Please. That I read in your book. Okay. Which is, did you know who really have a ghostwriter? Yes. No way. That is beyond. That's scary lying. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. I got to digest that. Yeah. That's why. Was that shocking to you? Yeah, of course. So you have to buy Casey's book and read it to find out who we're talking about. Because, I mean, this news is earth shattering, completely groundbreaking. I I don't know how I'm going to be the same ever again. Can I be 100 percent? But I'm going to give you 99.9. OK, we can never be 100 percent of anything. What if I was like, and I use the same one? No, <laughs> I wrote mine. I mainly just, God bless her. I'm just jealous. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hello. Where was my ghostwriter? Nobody even offered. Your book is so phenomenal. Thank you. Everyone listening, go buy it right now. It is such a gift to womankind. It's really 
fucking phenomenal and you should be thank so proud you. of it it's it was such a gift to me and thank you for making me feel less alone you know oh i appreciate that thank you you're so sweet it was so nice talking with you this was so fun Well, I hope you guys liked that episode as much as I loved recording it. I Casey Wilson is just, she's a godsend. I think she's just so cool, which is funny because we talked about how not cool we are. But when someone just so openly shares their imperfections and insecurities and all that stuff, it just, it liberates the rest of us and makes us feel like we can share ours too. So I'm just grateful to her. She was the perfect tell me about it guest. I wish I could have her back on next week, but we will get her back on someday. Mark my words, we have to, because she's just too good to be true. But that's it for me this week. Bye from me, Moo and Taco. We love you guys, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye. <laughs>